0: Hello and welcome to Just Needs, a podcast where we talk about parenting children with disabilities. I'm your host, Christina Kozik, and let me just say, I'm so glad you're here. This podcast is a project of Exceptional Lives, a nonprofit organization that supports families like yours. You can learn more about Exceptional Lives at our website, www.exceptionallives.org. This week's episode was a blog piece originally written by one of our team members, Nell Quest Curran. It's about her son, O, and her experience as his mom on a day when they had a medical emergency, and I'm really honored to share it with you. You know that feeling you get when your child is doing something unbelievably dangerous? For me, it's like a lightning bolt that runs from my feet to my throat. Time slows down, and I can hear my voice drop a register while I plead with my kid to rein it in because today is not a day for an ER visit. Sometimes it even works. My son, O, is five. He's a climbing, bouncing, sensory-seeking, physically fearless fireball of an escape artist. He loves toy cars, and emergency vehicles are no exception. He can name dozens of types of fire trucks and police cars. And yes, there's really that many. His dislikes include noise, lights that he can't control, and being touched by strangers. So navigating a 911 call to help my autistic child... Yeah, let's just say that was not on my parenting bucket list. Despite my best hopes and efforts, one night this past spring, the inevitable happened. I was making dinner less than 10 feet away when O hit his head, and he hit it hard on the edge of the granite table while he was doing something dangerous. There were shrieks, tears, and a lot of blood. Surprisingly, the 911 emergency situation I had always feared ended up being mostly an uneventful evening for my child. That's because we had patient, sensory-aware first responders come to our aid. I still wouldn't choose to do it again, and I sincerely hope you never need these emergency tips for helping first responders care for your child with a disability. But in the unfortunate event that you also need 911-level emergency parenting hacks, here are five tips for you based on what worked for us. Tip one. Be willing to ask for help when you need it, even if it means you have less control. As parents, we all want to help ease our children's paths through the world. This can be particularly true for those of us parenting kids who have an especially difficult path. Sometimes that means we try to control as much as we can in any given situation, and that's okay. Planning ahead can be part of accommodating our children with disabilities. I admit, I also fear people in authority thinking I'm overreacting. And I also have lots of anxiety around adults overriding my child's control over his own body. Now, none of those served me well in a true emergency because with blood pouring from my kid's head, my first impulse was to handle things myself and avoid seeking outside help. In my brain, handling things at home meant my child would remain in the place where he already knew the people around him and he trusts them. In that case, that would have been a very bad idea. I am not a medical professional. Taking O to the hospital myself would have involved making an unqualified judgment call about how deep his wound went and whether it was impacting his brain, getting him dressed and loaded into a car seat while he was hurt, confused, overwhelmed, and bleeding, and then a bumpy, nervous ride with more guesswork about how he was doing. Then once we got to the hospital, there's waiting in a loud, bright, busy hospital environment, and then repeating the same information about him many, many times to well-intending professionals who are also stressed out and might not have time to take things at my child's preferred pace. None of that would have been a good idea for a child with a head injury and a neurological disability, nor for his scared adrenaline rattled parent. And that's why 911 exists. Be realistic and use it when you need it. Tip number two, communicate clearly, fully, and specifically with emergency personnel. Highlight your child's needs and differences so first responders can better help them. Anytime you call 911, they ask a lot of questions. Make sure to answer those first, but once they have the info they need, you have the opportunity to tell them about the patient that they are going to be trying to help. I told the 911 operator about O, highlighting his diagnosis, his sensory sensitivities, his communication differences, and the things that help him feel safe. When EMS arrived, I also emphasized that his pain responses are not always easy to read and that he is sensitive to noise and light and that everyone would have a better outcome if they were gentle in how they approached him so that he didn't become even more overwhelmed. Armed with that information, the first responders knew exactly what they were walking into before they arrived. I didn't know that a sensory safe 911 experience was possible, but they achieved it. By sharing specifics, I helped them accommodate O's needs They came into the neighborhood quietly with no sirens. They sent the smallest possible number of people inside our home to help. They chose specific personnel who are best trained and suited to help him. I communicated his needs clearly and they went out of their way to meet them. Tip number three, encourage emergency staff to speak directly to your child rather than talking to you about them. Help them frame what they are doing in a way that your child understands. Nothing about us without us is a basic disability rights mantra, and it can be really hard to live that when you're in the middle of an emergency, but you can still try. When your child needs emergency care, first responders will benefit from interacting directly with their patient. As a caregiver, you can help make that happen. Here's an example. My child likes Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig's pediatrician is Dr. Brown Bear. When the medics from the fire department and EMS showed up, we asked their names and we introduced them directly to O. This is Miss Michaela. This is Mr. Tyler. They are friends of Dr. Brown Bear. They came in a fire truck and an ambulance to help you. And they need to look at your ouch spot on your head to make sure you are okay to help you feel better. We used what he knew to help him adapt to an unfamiliar situation. I also encouraged the medics to explain what they were doing or what they were going to do directly to O and demonstrate it with active modeling. When the medics needed to do something new or uncomfortable, like shining a flashlight into O's eyes to check his pupils, I had them do it to me first. Obviously, this strategy may not have worked in every situation, but the extra five seconds helping O know what to expect saved everyone time in the end. It got them O's buy-in, his consent, and his trust. Those three things also meant they got better information. As it turns out, O was fine. He didn't even need stitches. Scalp wounds just bleed a lot. He did desperately need to show his new BFFs, his favorite toy fire truck and ambulance, and that was a wonderful indication that my child was okay. Better even, he felt safe with these total strangers. Tip number four, if possible, plan ahead during the emergency to help your child process their experience afterwards. Understanding trauma is unfortunately an important part of raising children with disabilities. We know that trauma has to do with what kinds of experiences happen in a person's life, including emergencies. But when we give our kids tools and support to understand these experiences and accommodate our child's learning style or preferred means of communication, it can help prevent trauma later. Spoken language isn't O's favorite. When we called 911, he was in or very close to a sensory shutdown, which makes him even less inclined to talk things out. But this is still his story. He deserved to have a record of it that matches how he best understands. In O's case, visuals help. Once we knew that help was coming, I asked my husband to take photos of everything. The spot where O hit his head, me holding my child and comforting him, even the blood spots on the couch. After the medics arrived and without getting in their way, he took a few more photos of them working on O2. Now, these are not my favorite pictures, nor are they going on next year's holiday cards, but they sure came in handy in the next few days and weeks when we were helping O understand and process what had happened. Tip number five, remember that your advocacy is good teamwork and is really great modeling for your child. Here at Exceptional Lives, we have written a lot about how advocacy is not about being a difficult squeaky wheel, but rather being a strong part of your child's team. This is true in medical care, school, and in daily life. Your child knows themselves best, but as their caregiver, you're probably next in line, and that means you have something valuable to contribute. First responders are authorities and experts in providing emergency care but not in your child or their needs. Like any stranger, emergency personnel might have a difficult time interpreting your child's behavior with no context. They need to understand that behavior to accurately read how hurt your child is and what kinds of help your child needs. You don't want to get in their way during an emergency, but your advocacy isn't harmful and it is a key ingredient in helping your child feel safe and helping everyone work together. Emergencies are also moments when it's easy to feel like you have no control as a parent. At times like that, it can be helpful to reframe what you are experiencing as a hopefully rare opportunity, a chance to show your child that accommodations, dignity, and as much control of their own body space as possible are all things that they should be able to expect in these circumstances. Emergencies provide chances to walk the talk and to demonstrate that advocacy isn't a luxury and it doesn't go away even when we need to act quickly and decisively. I know that emergencies will happen, but trauma doesn't have to. I hope you never face an emergency where you need to call 911 for an ambulance to help your child with a disability. If you do, I hope these tips and tricks can help you more effectively navigate that difficult moment. This podcast was written by Nell Quest Curran and presented by me, Christina Kozik, for Exceptional Lives. You can subscribe and follow the podcast at our website, www.exceptionallives.org forward slash justneedspodcast. Our website has blogs, guides, upcoming events, and a resource directory for Louisiana and Massachusetts. We'd love for you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Exceptional Lives. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening.